It came to pass after the death of Saul, David returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites. Now let's catch ourselves up here. The last three or so chapters of 1 Samuel, actually it's probably the last four chapters or so, you may remember that uh, David was tired of running from Saul and he went to live with the Philistines and he got in good with the king and the king was expecting David to help them in their war against Saul. That would have been a terrible thing for David. David could have never served as king of Israel if he had fought Israel on the battlefield with the Philistines. But the Lord worked it out. The hearts of the commanders didn't trust David, didn't want him, and were afraid that he would begin to attack them from within their ranks while Saul was fighting them on the outside of their ranks. Anyway, he went back to uh, Ziklag, Ziklag, and that's where he had been staying with his men for a while. When he returned, he found the village in ruins and all of the goods and all of the people had been taken away by the Amalekites. It seemed to the Amalekites, and they were good at this, Whenever the Philistines were at war with somebody, they would go into the small villages, the helpless villages, and ransack those villages and take the people as, as slaves and so forth. So this meant that uh, the fa David, his family, his families of his men, and they, you know, they were going to overthrow David. They really held him responsible for all that. But he pursued the Amalekites and he routed them and took back everything that they had taken. And he defeated them completely. So this is what it means when it says David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites. David, and David stayed in Ziklag two days and it came to pass on the third day that, that look or that behold a man came from the camp of Shaul, Saul, with, and with his clothes torn and dust on his head. Now that was an outward sign that he had been grieving and in great grief. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself and said to him, and David said to him, uh, from where have you come? And he said to David, to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. So his story is that he was there when the slaughter of Saul and his family, his sons and his army had taken place. 
David said to him, what is the report? Please tell me. And he answered um, that uh, he answered that the people uh, lost my place. And he answered uh, that the people fled uh, from the battle and also that uh, many of the people fell and died and also did Saul and his son Jonathan. They died. So this is a, a fairly young fellow, apparently. David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan are dead and Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? And the young man who told him gave the story. He said it was, it happened to be by chance on Mount Gilboa. There was Saul leaning on his spear and indeed the chariot's horsemen followed hard after him. When he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me and I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And he said to him, I'm an Amalekite. Then he said to me, stand over me now and put me to death. Now we know this is all a lie because it didn't happen this way. Uh, and kill me for anguish, great anguish. Great anguish has come upon me. And he went on and said, this is to me as long as my life is within me. So he was telling him that was more his, this was the story of the Malachite young man. He was saying that Saul had said, this is too much, I can't handle it. So I want you to, to kill me. And so verse 10 says, so I stood over him and killed him because I was not sure that he could live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and I've brought them here to my Lord. So here's the story so far. The Amalekites were somewhat cowardly. They, they moved with force, but they always moved in force against unprepared villages, small cities, and so forth, as, as in the case of Ziklag. They also were known for following the Philistines and standing way off at a distance so that whenever whatever battle the Philistines were fighting came to an end, they would wait until everybody had cleared the area and the 
certain of these Amalekites would go in and they would pillage the battlefield and they would steal all the stuff that had any value off of the corpses. So they were not honorable people, obviously. And it, is, it, it becomes evident that what this Amalekite had done is that as he searched the corpses, he discovered Saul and his sons and he took the crown and the bracelet and so forth. And it was his idea since David, since Saul had been after David and had tried to kill him for something like 10 years, that, and he also knew that there was uh, within the land among the people, there was competition, I guess you'd say, between those who supported David as king and those who supported Saul as king. It becomes evident that this young man thought that David would give him a reward because he killed the king that was trying to kill David. And he he obviously brought the crown and the bracelet to prove and probably thought that David could put this crown on his head and this would be proof that David now was king in the place of Saul. But David didn't operate that way. So therefore, uh, David... Uh, took hold of his own clothes and tore them. And so did all of the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul, for Jonathan, his son, for the people of Yahweh, for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword now, this would have been a surprise to this young man, the Amalekite. He, he would have expected a party. He thought they would rejoice and make him a hero and give him a great reward. But instead, they just tore their clothes and did the things that people in the Near East did whenever they grieved in a great way. Um, and then it's going to come back on him. David said to the young man who told him, uh, these who told him these things from where he had. He said, "Where are you? Uh, from where are? Where did you come from? From where are you?" Uh, and he answered, "The son of a sojourner. I'm an Amalekite." So David said to him, "How was it now that you were? Let's see. How? Okay. Verse. I lost my place again." How was it that you did that, that you how did you not fear to stretch forth your hand to destroy the anointed of Yahweh? It would be right about here that that young Amalekite guy would have swallowed and gulped and thought, uh oh. Why weren't you afraid? to set forth your hand against the anointed of Yahweh. Here's the thing. If the Amalekite was as familiar with the people of Israel as he pretended to be, 
he would have known that in general, Israelites would not extend their hand against the anointed of Yahweh, the king. David wouldn't do it. And if anybody had a reason to do it, David did, but he didn't do it. Uh, he just trusted that the Lord would work it out in the time that the Lord would work it out, which he has done. So it was... Uh, it was a terrible thing in the mind of David and of Israel in general to have, as it says here, to put forth his hand to destroy the anointed of Yahweh. And David called one of the young men and said, go near, let's go near to him and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, your blood is on your own head for you've testified, for your own mouth has testified against you saying, I have killed uh, the anointed of Yahweh. Now, let's put all of this in perspective. Just before, oh, in the months preceding the loss to the Philistines, for all of his faults, Saul, as the king and the people wanted a king, had given the people to be a reason to become stable. They've stabilized themselves, and by staving off raiding parties of the Philistines and others. Saul has, as far as he could, has protected the people and the economy grew strong. You may recall when we talked about the death of Saul last time that it was in an unusual place. It was not in a, it was not in a place where generally the wars are fought because we understand from the great context of, of what was in First Chronicles and what was in First Samuel and all this, that these, these uh, trade routes were controlled by Israel. So that brought a lot of tax and a lot of, a lot of money into the, into the nation of Israel. The point is that Israel, under Saul, at least had more stability than they had ever had because we're coming off of the times of the judges. And in the times of the judges, the tribes were extraordinarily independent of one another. And they hardly ever, they hardly ever got along on much. Uh, and the Lord from time to time would raise up a judge when one was needed uh, to serve as a supreme magistrate, to judge the people and to make difficult decisions that need to be made. Other than that, the people, the people were without law. I mean, they were without, without obedience to civil law. They were just on their own. And they had no boundaries set as a nation of people. Saul, at least, you can say this about him. Saul changed all of that. As a king and as the people being happy that they had a king forged themselves more into a nation 
than they had ever done so in their history. And they also became fairly prosperous economically up until the up until the time leading to and then the time after the the defeat uh, to the Philistines, at which time they became impoverished. But those those facts about Saul and his reign and uh, the pro- the previous prosperity of the people something to be remembered as we as we continue to study this chapter. David lamented with this. Uh, lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the sons of Judah the song of the bow. It is indeed written in the book of Jasher. Uh, This is something that the Hebrew people uh, would have known. The beauty of Israel on, uh, let's see, Beauty of Israel, or I guess you could say, oh, oh, beautiful, or oh, beauty of Israel. On your high places shall, shall the stain lie there. How our heroes, or how our mighty, have fallen. Do not talk about this in Gath. Now, that's a Philistine stronghold. Here's the deal. You remember they took the skull of Saul and they put it in the house of Dagon, their God, and it was their testimony to the world that their God had strengthened them and their God had defeated the God of Israel. These are how those things were, even though God acknowledges in his word and we read it over the last couple of three times we've read from here that it was Yahweh who put Saul to death because of his his evil ways. Yahweh was always in charge. But in the contemporary moment, the Philistines saw it as a victory of their God, of their God Dagon. So, so David says, don't say anything about this in Gath. Do... Um, do not announce it in the streets of Ashkelon. That was the religious center of the Philistines. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. We're not going to let them. We're not going to let them think that this is so heavy on us that we can't bounce back from this. Now let's look back over this. Let's look back over David's victory over the Amalekites while Saul was fighting the Philistines. The people understood that Saul had as his priority for many years the death of David, to kill David. Saul knew that it was God's will for David to be the king, so Saul was in blatant uh, disobedience. But David is doing these things out here on a very personable, personal level with the people. And he is strengthening strengthening himself in the hearts of the people and that he would not kill Saul when he had the opportunity even endeared him to the people even more. Now over those 10 or so years, you will recall from 1 Samuel 
that there were people who gave encouragement that the Lord spoke to them and said, look, you're the king. You're going to be the king. You are the king. All right. So all of this, all of these adventures in, in past times, encouragement from people and the decisions that David had made had made him through the years look more like a king than Saul. So the people would have appreciated the lamentation of David and would have agreed with him in how he um, grieved over the, over the death of Saul and Jonathan and, of course, all of the soldiers who died. So like a king would, he would say to the people, we don't want to give them the pleasure of thinking in any way that their God is a God. So we're not going to talk about this. It's David's way of saying God is our God. God did something to teach us a lesson, but he's still our God and we are his people. And we will rise from the ashes of this defeat. That's sort of kind of what David is saying here. Um, then he turns and he, in his speech and all, he curses in his address to the people and he curses the mountains of Gilboa. That's where Saul and the Israelite army were defeated. Oh, mountains of Gilboa, um, let there be no dew nor rain upon you. Nor, uh, nor shall you be fields of, of, of the heave offerings. It, it, would, it, would be a, it would be something that would cost the Israelites something. But David was calling upon the Lord to shut down that area so that he couldn't produce anything. Maybe as a reminder. Uh, but certainly, and, and, and keep in mind, this is where those trade routes were going. And it would have affected all that. Uh, for there the shield of the mighty was rejected. Saul's shield was as though not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, Jonathan's bow did not turn back nor did Saul's sword return empty. Jonathan had acknowledged in his friendship with David that his father, Saul, was wrong. But even then, he never forsook the side of his father in battle. He didn't participate in pursuing David, but he never forsook. And he knew that Saul was coming to an end. I mean, Saul, if he put any weight at all in what the witch had said, he knew that he wasn't going to escape this battle. Jonathan probably would have known it as well. And still, they went to the battle. Saul and Jonathan, his son, who were beloved and pleasant in their lifetime. And in their death, they were not separated. They were um, swifter than eagles and stronger, mightier than lions. 
daughters of Israel, weep over Saul who dressed you in crimson with delights, who put golden ornaments on your clothes. Now, here, and I told you earlier that we would reference this. This tells us that Saul, for all of his bad points, in stabilizing the nation under one king, had brought the people together such that they prospered. Um, Their industry, their goods and services, all those things, they came together and they were strong economically. And so David reminds the women of Israel that, that Saul in bringing stability and in protecting them in the way that he did and in securing trade routes and so forth brought an economic prosperity and, and the women prospered in this. How, how did the mighty fall in the midst of the battle? Jonathan, on your high places, you were slain. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You were very pleasant to me. Your love was more wonderful to me than the love of women. Now, I know what you'll think there, but it ain't what you think. It's a Hebraism, and it comes from Solomon, Solomon's writings. And Solomon said that the love of a man and a woman is stronger than death itself. David's closest friend is dead. And what David is saying is this. The love that I have had for you as my friend is stronger in death than it was in life. Just like when a husband loses a wife or vice versa and, and there's a, an ache and a pain there that cannot be measured and a, and a hole that can never be filled. This is how David is referencing this. What he's saying is if a man's love for his wife is stronger than death, then our friendship and our love for one another as friends is even stronger than that. They had a bond between each other, a covenant between each other. Uh, and it's, it's really one of the greatest stories of close friendship in, in all of the scriptures. How the mighty, how have the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? We'll stop there. But what's happening here is that David is about to become the king of Judah. And they'll, he'll have a coronation. And for seven years, the people will see what a great job he does. And then the rest of the tribes will come together. And for the last 33 years of his reign, he will be king over all of Israel. We're going to stop there and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.